things. Um, so I sort of trust his judgment. He seems to think this is seems to be, and again, uh, we're not saying anything definitive here. This seems to be a HIMARS strike, Russian terror. Uh, of course, uh, that could be incorrect. It could absolutely be a false strike. Well, I, I think that would be really compelling if it were a HIMARS strike, because as much as I support uh, strikes uh, within Russia proper and unfounded, uh, and that given any kind of weapon systems that may be provided to Ukraine. The rules of the road that were provided by uh, a lot of countries that did give the HIMARS, the M270s, and, and other MLRS systems was do not attack Russia proper with it. So uh, I'm good with it if they did, because uh, I thought it was a ridiculous rule to begin with. But that would be very compelling, and I would be interested to see uh, what any second and third order effects would be or if... Uh, we would probably never even acknowledge that it was the Heimar system. That, uh, that was- yeah, absolutely. I think maybe there's kind of two dimensions here, right? First, there's the sort of taboo, right? We were kind of told, like, oh, don't don't strike Russian territory. Now they have, so maybe it seems like that taboo's been lifted. I think Axel kind of pointed out, and I think I kind of agree with Axel, this taboo is maybe a bit of a myth that maybe was misconstrued at the time. It was maybe an off-the-cuff remark by Biden that got misinterpreted as official policy, because later on the Pentagon kind of backed off and they said, "No, we're giving you. We're just we give Ukraine weapons. We we can't tell them what to do." Right? That was sort of what they said later. Um, so maybe the uh, taboo is not as uh, real as we thought. But that said, um, kind of ignoring that kind of. Um, narrative of Russian escalation, right? The idea that this was a taboo striking Russian territory, that it escalates things. Um, There is the reality that now there are these long-range strikes directly into Russian territory, and they're not happening once, you know, just just one minor strike on one target. It's multiple strikes on multiple targets, you know, um, in in the same area. So this seems to be a significant strategic development in, in addition to, as you said, uh, a possible kind of um, escalation as that terminology. Do you have any follow-up, Thanos? Go ahead. Uh, you know, I absolutely do. And uh, just the, the one last uh, comment, uh, it should not be underestimated the value of strikes uh, within a country that is waging war. Uh, uh, Doolittle rage, uh, definitely treated more than enough in Hollywood. However, a strike such as that, even though the damage was superficial, was enough to scare the hell out of the Japanese residents into realizing that their home island actually could be within range of American bombs. So bringing that home to Russia, you know, they were along for the ride, you know, or they were willing to tolerate it. Now... They are within artillery range. That changes things for a lot of people, and it'll be interesting to see uh, how the Russians respond to this. You know, I, I don't think this is necessarily the same uh, generation uh, that was, you know, you know, Stalingrad, uh, you know, Leningrad, all these paid for too. I, I don't think that uh, really too many people are interested in putting up with that. So. Hopefully a, a very good development. We'll see what happens. Thanks for, uh, for entertaining my thoughts. Yeah, absolutely, Thanos. I think those are great uh, historical examples. Uh, so, guys, just some housekeeping real quick. So, first off, uh, I feel a sneeze coming on. So, if I have to mute for a second, I'm really sorry about that. But uh, I'm going to continue with my uh, PSA here. 
Uh, so if you guys could please uh, retweet the space. Uh, recently, the button was changed. We used to say it was the blue plus sign, but uh, that doesn't exist anymore. So you go up to the top right of your screen. Uh, next to the three dots, there's a little like U with an arrow on it. Uh, that'll retweet the space. It helps us a lot. It helps the algorithm. Uh, you know, people find uh, uh, the Walter Report on Twitter. And, you know, tell your friends about the Walter Report. Try to spread spread the word, right? We're here uh, covering Ukraine, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, we never stop. Uh, and, uh, you know, we appreciate uh, everyone's support. Uh, of course, uh, we provide expert analysis, uh, military analysts, uh, academics who come, guest speakers. Uh, we had... Uh, a recent guest speaker on uh, Russian disinformation uh, that was very good. Uh, and we're going to have a family from uh, Occupied Kherson uh, uh, speak about their experiences uh, this weekend. I wish I had a time for you guys on that. Uh, I've never been able to get a time out of uh, uh, the, the powers that be, so I apologize. Um, but it's being organized. Uh, so anyway, uh, we bring all these guests to you guys. Uh, it's a lot of work on the back end. And uh you know, we, we don't ask for any financial support directly for the Walter Report. It's all done voluntarily. Uh, we do ask, though, that you give to Maria Aid. Uh, right now, we're fundraising for tourniquets. We're trying to raise 1,000 tourniquets to help Ukrainian soldiers and civilians. Uh, you know, when you uh, face extreme bleeding, a tourniquet can save your life. So we don't want to ever put Ukrainians in a situation where they reach for a tourniquet and there's not one. Provide uh, 1,000 tourniquets for uh, Ukrainians, uh, we could save a lot of lives. So uh, that's a, a big push we're doing right now for these thousand tourniquets. Appreciate anything you guys could uh, send your send our way. And my last housekeeping note is uh, we've got a lot of people on the panel. So if uh, you don't have anything uh, directly relevant or you don't feel like you're going to add anything uh, right away, if you guys could hop down to listener, uh, I would appreciate it. Uh, I'll always uh, add you back up if you want to uh, cycle back up uh, later on. So uh, I'll leave it there. Thanks, guys. And with that, we will go to Petter. Petter, go ahead. Sure. It was uh, to that last topic about uh, strikes in Ukraine. Uh, I, I wanted to point out that, sorry, strikes into Russia. I wanted to point out that uh, uh, Ukraine has been striking into Russia since almost day one uh, with the helicopter strikes, drone strikes, uh, and also lately uh, artillery, counter-battery fire shooting uh, artillery rounds at uh, Russian artillery positioned in Russia. So there's nothing new about uh, Ukraine striking into Russia. What is understood uh, is that uh, the Ukrainians probably have rules of engagement that say that no Ukrainian soldier is going to enter into Russian territory and they are not going to be striking uh, targets that are civilian infrastructure, uh, unless they are also military infrastructure at the same time, uh, and also not the strike to risk uh, big civilian losses and uh, the re it, all of these things uh, uh, are self-imposed uh, and the reason is that one of Ukraine's strategic advantages is the uh, better morale of the Russian uh, sorry of the Ukrainian defenders compared to the Russian aggressors the moment you enter someone's homeland uh, or start targeting, uh, you know, civilian stuff in their homeland that increases morale, and the Ukrainians don't want to increase uh, Russian morale. Thank yeah, I think that's correct. Uh, we did see, to my knowledge, only one instance where some uh, cheeky Ukrainian reconnaissance forces uh, near Kharkiv border uh, went. Uh, they crossed the border to kind of scope out uh, Russian artillery positions. 
and uh, they basically, you know, they, they said, eh, we don't see much here right now. So, uh, but it, so it wasn't a big, you know, uh, incursion. They, they weren't like, you know, occupying uh, a town or something like that. But uh, so, as you said, I think, I think what you said is probably, it, it does uh, change the psychology of the home front. If they're under direct attack, it would probably inspire a lot of Russians to uh, sort of rally even more around the flag than they already have. So uh, good points. We don't have any hands up right now, so once again, if you guys uh, don't have anything uh, right now to say, uh, please, if you could, uh, hop down to listener, and uh, I'll cycle you back up if you. Uh, would I like just want to. Wanna, I just want to quickly uh, comment to what he said. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, like this is this is one of the the main things they try to do, like uh, put up enough footage, so they will have something to talk about how they are the victim to their own country. Uh, to their own people to boost morale and um, yeah, make themselves in, in a position that they could easily uh, mobilize more people. Yeah, I think uh, we've definitely seen in Donbass, right, uh, false flag attacks on Ukraine people and being told, oh, Ukraine did it, right? So it's not out of the poss- realm of possibility. Uh, Alex, I saw you come up. Uh, you want, do you have anything to say, Alex? Go ahead. Yeah, I think Ukraine denies uh, attacking Kursk or Belgorod. Uh, they did confirm Militopol. Uh, it was military base uh, of Russia. However, they deny attacks in Kursk and uh, Belgorod. Um, it, they say it's a false flag operation, probably to which is not going very well okay thank you alex uh maybe thanos uh, do you have a response there you know i i really don't because i think we've we've given this some some pretty good treatment about looking at uh both sides from why would the russians launch a uh a false flag operation versus the legitimacy of it as a military target what i'd like to know if we could move on possibly would be uh to the cost or benefit uh, finally, uh, responding to uh, the aggressions of Belarus. Now, obviously, I believe they have maybe five battalion tactical groups that are ready to roll, that, that at least are assessed to be in a state of uh, high readiness. Uh, but Belarus has been allowing its land to be a uh, really used as a uh, launching point for, uh, you know, the Ukrainian, for the uh, Russians to attack Ukraine from multiple vectors that they wouldn't otherwise have if they did not, uh, you know, leave their land up to the Russians. They've been actively supporting them in terms of logistics, and and I'm not aware of any significant uh, strikes by Ukraine into Belarus. Uh, is Is there any thought, any discussions right now uh, into, you know, finally responding to, to Belarusian uh, aggression at this point? So, as of right now, as far as I understand, like, the Russian, we'll just call them the terror attacks, right, when Russia just directly, deliberately uses a missile strike on a mall. Recent, a lot of people were, like, I believe 20 people were killed and uh, something like 60 people were injured. Uh, those attacks are from basically strategic bombers that are uh, flying from Russian airfields, uh, and uh, they're launching missiles from the air in Belarusian airspace, and then they're returning. 
Um, so to my knowledge, uh, there's nothing Ukraine has uh, or really that NATO has that has like the range or capability to directly stop the bombers from doing that. Um, they'd have to like strike into Belarus. Now, one thing Axel pointed out when I sort of brought that up was he said, they probably are being escorted by fighters to prevent, like, you know, Ukrainians, fighters, I guess, from shooting them down. Um, and those are probably taking off from Belarusian air bases. So you could argue, like, we should, you know, or sorry, Ukraine should bomb those air bases. Um, to my knowledge, um, or at least Adrian kind of weighed in on that and said, um, at least as far as I, I know, like, um, Ukrainian people believe that the Belarusians are kind of on their side. Like, there's really... They're, they're not sympathetic to Russian aggression in Ukraine, uh, the Belarusian population. And so they don't want to really give Russia any excuse for uh, Belarus uh, or the Belarusian population to, uh, like, you know, feel attacked by Ukraine directly. Um, so that was kind of like the conversation. I don't know. Does that maybe uh, uh, give you any thoughts, Thanos? So I, I can appreciate that. Uh, I am also a, a combat systems expert, so I can. I'm very familiar with uh, Russian weapon systems and uh, how they are utilizing them. Uh, that being said, there, there's a point of diminishing returns, right? Because just because the the people are are on your side. And, you know, they don't necessarily want to be a part of it. You're still taking damage from those vectors. And so, you know, the question is going to be how much damage can you absorb? Because, you know, there's really nothing to say that the Russians aren't going to decide again to continue to increasing the volume fires, uh, raining down terror from those uh, Belarusian vectors when... Uh, you know, they're, they're doing the salami slice inch by inch uh, along the eastern front. So I, I can appreciate the necessity of morale and trying to win the, the Belarusian people over. That being said, uh, with the significant Russian presence currently in Belarus and the fact that they've already put down, you know, protests that were aimed at kind of, uh, you know, ejecting Lukashenko, I, I don't know. Uh, how much longer uh, it, it's really beneficial to Ukraine to show this kind of restraint. Mind if I jump in, Joseph, with just a little speculation? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, Thanos makes great points, and these are vectors that should be definitely suppressed. I um, personally agree with that. But my speculation also lies with the Belarusian army, because at the beginning of the invasion in February, I mean, we were hearing quite a lot that the Belarusians would also invade, would also support the Russians in the attack north of Kiev. And there were significant reports. Uh, I mean, uh, Lukashenko, some Belarusian army leaders were replaced in that time, because apparently a lot of elements of the Belarusian army uh, didn't want to they weren't up for invading Ukraine. And um, there is speculation that basically they didn't come in with the Russians because there wasn't enough willingness inside the army, or at least the leadership didn't think the army would be reliable enough to go in. And um, I would speculate it's also a calculus on Ukraine's part regarding the Belarusian army. Maybe they're, I mean, if they bombed a Belarusian army base, uh, air base, and they killed Belarusian military, in an attack on their country, it might alienate some of these elements that uh, 
are kind of, let's say, insubordinate. Let's call it that way. I mean, when you get attacked and you lose some of your bodies, you kind of, um, you kind of lose arguments. And especially if, um, especially if uh, there are different factions within the army, and some of them are less favorable to the regime, they would lose credibility. Uh, but it's a speculation. I have zero connection with the military. Thanos, any follow up? So yeah, just it's it's one of the hardest things to negotiate, right? And and that is uh, maintaining your international standing, maintaining your regional standing uh, with the the morality, while also recognizing uh, strategic and operational imperatives. You know, in in the the Naval War College, we try to quantify these things, but as with anything, international affairs or political science, you quickly find that every time you try to quantify values like this, you fall flat on your face. There is no equation. So you are going to be in an information warfare. So you're going to have to explain your attacks when you eliminate the threat. And, and so I think that is something that we're going to see. It's only a matter of time. I think Lukashenko has been preemptive in some of his messaging with that, you know, trying to claim that attacks are being made in Belarus that really have not yet. But if I were Ukraine, I would stand up and say, hey, yep, uh, we haven't done that yet. But by the way, this is completely legitimate because right now we are losing uh, our people right now. Our civilians are being targeted from your airspace. You are 100 percent culpable for this. You have come out in support of this from day one and oh by the way you're also still uh well knowing exactly what these uh airplanes are doing and how they're doing it from your airspace and the weapon systems that are being used uh are pretty sophisticated and you use those kinds of sophisticated weapon systems pretty much because of the issues of range and not the complexity of the target just goes to show that uh, Russia has no problem using its best weapon systems in order to uh, target civilian populations, which really just speaks to the overall depravity of the situation. And as far as I'm concerned, really Ukraine has nothing to risk uh, from a a morality standpoint or the higher road standpoint in uh, starting to engage in uh, targeting these areas. So I, I would encourage them to to begin doing this yesterday. I'd have to agree, Thanos. And, you know, uh, I think as you correctly point out, uh, you know, Belarus is a big strategic vulnerability for Ukraine. We're not expecting, like, the Belarusian army to march down into Kiev, but um, by having that border with uh, so close to Kiev uh, with uh, Belarus. If the Belarusians were to be arm-twisted into launching a very fast attack on Kiev, yes, ultimately they would lose, but it would be just an absolute clusterfuck trying to uh, figure out how uh, you're going to split the forces and not fall back so fast that you end up losing quite a bit of territory uh, along the Eastern Front. So I would be very concerned about that vulnerability, and I'd start hitting some of those units right now. Like, 
right now. Yeah, fair enough. And I'm sure uh, the Ukrainian military is uh, making preparations. We'll see. Anyway, uh, we've got some other hands up. So uh, thank you, Thanos. Uh, appreciate it. Yeah, discussion. I'm going to go back down to listeners. So thanks for uh, thanks for letting me play this morning. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Thank you. Uh, so we'll go to uh, Reda Borcha. Uh, you've had your hand up for a while. So we'll go to you. Thank you. Uh, Reda Borcha. Hello. Can you hear me? Yep. Go ahead. Oh, fantastic. Well, first of all, thank you very much for the space. I've been listening for you guys for probably over two months now. And um, it's only today I figured out how to raise a hand. So uh, for, forgive my illiteracy with regards to Twitter. Just to give you some background. So um, I'm French, German. I came from London, set up shop here uh, in Kiev. I founded the company. And um, I employ a, a sizable number of, of people um, that are fortunately uh, backed by um, a publicly traded company, uh, a European one, that uh, has deep pockets and was able to kind of put all of the contingency planning in place, if you can call it planning, it was more of a reaction, to basically get people out. Um, we provided them with um, basically the means of transportation necessary, whatever ethical and unethical things we had to do to get people out, they made it happen. Now we're at the stage where the majority of people are back, and I'm still kind of at the outskirts of, of Kiev, and the attacks only reached about two or three kilometers kind of the, the, uh, uh, away from the village where I'm, I'm personally located. But the majority of people we have employed basically are either inside Kiev, outside Kiev, or now at the moment in the Galician part, so in the western part. The concern I have is that it's obviously not possible to predict what is going to happen exactly in the future and thank god nothing has gone to plan particularly uh for the russians with regards to this this war and um we had the last time around enough time to get people out and if there is going to be a, a change in tactic from the, the russians and they try again a salami slice tactic up north trying to get into kiev or blitz attack I'm confident that there will be enough notice and time to, to do necessary things. But what I'm more and more discussing now with people is what happens if what we all hope for is really happening, the Russians will get their asses kicked, and we get into a situation where at one point um, a red line is crossed by Ukraine, and rightfully so, but a red line is crossed where it becomes apparent to the Russians that they are not able to sell this anymore as a victory, uh, even uh, tactically. So, for instance, let's say any region uh, pre, you know, the 24th is in, uh, retaken by Ukraine or, or Crimea gets attacked or, you know, a place that had a fake referendum. What we fear is that there might be some kind of vindictive reaction that will rapidly bring the people to basically work because i mean we all live now in this kiev syndrome where aside from the news you could really mistake the whole war for another pandemic um we have fuel again people live their lives stoicism has set in very much like the israeli spirits and people living in tel aviv where you just keep calm and carry on but i just wondered if the thesis is that before things how bad do you think could things become in a scenario not much they um they, to sort of turn up the volume conventionally i don't think there's a whole lot they could do particularly to kiev directly but um 
I'm sorry, maybe could you could you sort of repeat your question a little bit? Um, so so the question is basically the worst case scenario is that an event happens and I'm not talking about nuclear because that's bullshit, but I'm talking about something that happens so fast that I wouldn't be able to contact the people anymore because internet is down, electricity is down, the major bridges to cross the Dnipro River are down and we have to think about crazy stuff like boats and low flying helicopters basically a complete meltdown of the infrastructure which and i don't know militarily if they're capable of doing that but i mean for instance i live not far away from Brisbane airport I, I can practically see the place i am gobsmacked that not a single bomb has fallen there and I, I, and I don't know why and how and i hope that there is a red line the russians are not able to cross themselves because the russian population would not understand if russia would bomb basically ukraine to kingdom come um so that is my question is is what do you think is the worst thing the worst scenario that could happen in a in a world where basically ukraine is winning and regaining the territories because if the if it's the other way around it will be more of a salami slice tactic and we would have enough time to basically say pack our bags and uh, and go uh, go back to Europe. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so that makes uh, sense. So, um, I think in terms of like, why isn't Russia, uh, uh, hitting these areas? I think first off, um, Kiev has very good air defense, right? Um, we've seen a situation where, uh, I want to say, uh, eight missiles have been shot at Kiev and all have been shot down. Um, so it, and same with Odessa. Like, we've seen situation where I want to say 10 missiles were shot at Odessa and 10 were shot down. Um, I could be wrong about the exact numbers. Point being, uh, they've successfully shot down many, many uh, uh, Russian uh, attacks. And uh, Russia knows that Kiev's air defenses are good, so they're not going to waste um, uh, typically uh, a lot of effort trying to uh, uh, bypass them. Um, in terms of what can Russia do to escalate uh this is oh right so shock and awe right so that's that, that's u.s doctrine um is shock and it's called shock and awe the idea being you collapse uh the the uh, infrastructure of the enemy so quickly you just you know you black out the power you knock out the water system you uh hit the military infrastructure their radar and so forth and they're like they're blind it's dark there's got no water and all of it happens so fast. There's just such a cascade of force that the enemy is just kind of gives up. They're just like, oh, well, I can't do anything right now. I'm, I'm all shocked and awed. Uh, so that is U.S. doctrine. Uh, U.S. has been, I would argue, more or less successful in, in some areas of that. Uh, as far as I can tell, um, Russia isn't capable of it. It requires like real joint operations, joint operations being like combining ground power with air power at the same time to sort of successfully coordinate um, strikes on, on targets. Um, if Russia, what, what would worry us? I think um, like on uh, what would worry the military experts on this space, I think would be if we were seeing Russia start to systematically pick apart Ukrainian air defense. If we saw them st striking Ukrainian air defense, um, maybe baiting out a response from an S 300 that Ukraine has uh, with a, one attack. And then once the S 300 launches the missile, um, then there'll be like a response 
attack. Like they, they, they launched the first missile just to get the S 300 to pop its head up and then they're going to destroy the S 300 so far, at least to our knowledge, we haven't seen any um, like real systematic effort by Russia to um, like take down Ukrainian air defenses. Um, but I think like you, you raise a good point, which is like Russia always, they, they never will just let Ukraine have a victory, right? Like, um, it's no coincidence that the day that, uh, uh, Ukraine got into the European Union, there were strikes and the day that, uh, Ukraine was, uh, given, uh, you know, promises of support in the G7, there were strikes, right? Like, Every time Ukraine has a, a moral victory or like a morale victory, uh, Russia tries to undermine that with some type of uh, terror attack. So I think it's worth like considering what what could Russia do in terms of their ability to inflict a terror attack. But um, yeah, I personally I can't think of much conventionally at this point they could do. And as you said uh, correctly, which is a, a great point, I'm, I'm avoiding the nuclear question altogether, which, uh, as you said, is maybe a bit unproductive. So I appreciate that. Um, but, yeah, uh, I hope, hopefully that answers your question. Do you have uh, any quick follow-up? I'll try to get to some other hands, and maybe they have some something to add. Uh, go ahead. No, no follow-up for me. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. So that's a great question. I wish I maybe had a little bit better answers, maybe more of an Axel thing. But Axel's like completely MIA. I have no idea where he went. He's listening down there. Uh, so we'll go to uh, Bloke, and then we'll go to Adrian. Bloke, go ahead. Hi, Joseph. You said almost everything I wanted to to say. Um, just to add that I think actually they're throwing everything but the kitchen sink uh, right now conventionally at Ukraine. I just don't think they have much more escalatory capacity. Um, the, there's a limited number of, of of cruise missiles, uh, you can already see them scavenging naval supplies and scavenging, um, you know, older older MBTs and stuff like that. So, so they are literally trying everything they can right now. I, I, I don't see how much more they could escalate, frankly, um, conventionally. And then you made a really good point about the um, air defenses being strengthened. Um, so. Uh, no, I, I think that uh, the end game here is to kick the, the Russians out of the country. And uh, the Russians will just have to deal with the defeat domestically as they, um, however, they will have to deal with it uh, domestically. I was going to ask a question about uh, Kherson, but uh, I'd rather leave it. I think Adrian wants to speak to that same point. So let's let him go first. Sure, go ahead, Adrian. Thanks. Uh, I just wanted to say hello to the previous speaker who asked the question, because I used to live in Borispol when I lived in Ukraine, if he mentioned Borispol City. And yeah, when I was there about a month ago, uh, no, I don't want to jinx it. It uh, looked be better. It looked um, relatively safe. Um, so yeah, always nice to hear someone from there. It's a lo lovely place. Um, I do want to give my two cents on this. Um, I do think uh, Kyiv uh, has strengthened its defenses significantly since uh, February 24th, as you spoke very correctly on air defense, but also I think uh, in the way it would prevent another uh, maybe attack from Belarus from the north, because we spoke about this. I mean, uh, although that's highly unlikely, it's not uh, completely impossible, at least with um, 
well, at least with the current uh, current uh, situation, current context. So um, I'm, I must admit that I do agree a little bit with uh, the speakers. I, I didn't get your name. That's why I'm calling you the speaker um, with uh, his concerns, because, um, yeah, I mean, they could try it one more time. I think the, uh, the thing that makes me be a little bit at ease is that in the two months, two, mo two and a half months, three months since the Russians retreat, retreated from around Kyiv, their defense is definitely strengthened. Uh, they really cracked down on saboteurs. I mean, it's a city that's way more prepared. And I'm sure that if there is a place in Ukraine that has the best air defense, uh, that would be key, Kyiv. There could be discussion on a cyber attack. Uh, I mean, again, we talked about here that uh, if the, the Russians wanted to do significant cyber damage or if they had the capability to do it, they would have done it already. But apparently Ukraine's defenses in that regard are correct. They're cracking down our saboteurs, so there's less and less uh, weirdos with smartphones taking pictures of uh, defenses. Um, so. It is a possibility, but highly unlikely, and Ukraine is way more prepared for it at this point. So, um, yeah, I'm uh, pretty optimistic that it uh, it won't get to it any, uh, again. But again, I wouldn't underestimate, I wouldn't say the Russians are completely blown out. I mean, they're still sending troops, they're still uh, occupying part of Ukraine until they're out of it. Uh, I'm not going to underestimate them. I think it's a healthier attitude. Thanks. Yeah, and so uh, just for your own curiosity, Adrian, the uh, speaker was uh, oh, he went down. Actually, I lost the name. Sorry, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a good good uh, discussion. Uh, so I see Slava Ukrainians in the audience. Uh, Slava, if you want to come on up, we have a pretty good panel here. Uh, Bloke, you said you had a different uh, subject you might want to bring up, though. Uh, if you wanted to bring that up now, you can go ahead. Uh, yeah, it was about uh, Kherson. Um, I wasn't able to connect yesterday, and and I heard about um, there's a large column of. of uh, uh, tanks, um, MBTs that the Russians are trying to reposition about around uh, Kherson. And I uh, was wondering if anyone had an update in that area. Um, I think that would be great if the Ukrainians could uh, encircle and liberate uh, Kherson. And I'm wondering what the progress is there, but it can wait and, uh, uh, for later. Yeah, so John did give an update and he got real excited and he was like, Ukraine took a bunch of land. And I was like, John. I, uh, you know, I, I, I was right about Ukraine winning in Kherson the whole time. We, well, we were right. We were all right. And so John was excited for a little bit, but then he was like, well, the confusion here is that it's a town and an oblast, right? It's like the classic problem in Ukraine, right? There's a town called Kherson and then there's Kherson oblast, right? So uh, I forget the exact oblast here. I think it's Kriviri, but uh, I could be mistaken. Point being, uh, if the meaning of the update from the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense was that they are holding the town, then that means that the borders are the same. But if it means they're holding the borders of the oblast, then the, the Ukraine has made a significant advance uh, toward Kherson. Uh, I'm going to assume that it means the town and the borders are the same. But if you want to be like an optimist, maybe you can, we can assume that uh, they did uh, gain. As far as uh, amassing of uh, forces toward Kherson, uh, I haven't heard anything specific about what you're talking about with tanks. Uh, but yeah, certainly there have been um, efforts to get the civilian population out um, to prevent any collateral damage and uh, 
they've been sort of slowly inching their way village by village. Uh, we've seen uh, a small salient emerge, and uh, they're they're very close to Hirsan. They can basically see it um, from drone uh, a little ways up. Uh, did that answer your question, Bloke? Or uh, yeah, um, it was way. specifically the uh, the Russians repositioning their forces around uh, to defend Kherson and uh, uh, you know a potential juicy target that would be uh, I forget the name of that I have to relook up the name of the highway that the column is moving down. So uh, I thought that maybe there would be a twenty four to forty eight hour window to hit them. And now with HIMARS, I think the Ukrainians actually have the the capability, probably even with, the, if they're that close, even with M777s, they could hit that column. And I was wondering if anyone, anyone had heard anything. But uh, I, 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 like I said, I, I, we'll just have to, I'll just have to be patient and wait, although I'm quite anxious about yeah. it. Yeah, mum's the word down in Kherson, right? Like, we don't get to know that much about the uh, offensive going on because of operational sound. They're, they're doing their best. Sorry, go ahead, Blake. No, that's it. Uh, just lots of anxiety. Uh, uh, you, you know, I'm just going to have to be patient like everyone else. Yeah. So uh, yeah, go ahead, Adrian. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add it's uh, unrelated, uh, but it's on the propaganda front. Uh, so it's just a little note. So if you want to go back to something else afterwards, great. Uh, our uh, friend uh, Daniel, also from Romania, he sent me something, and I don't know if uh, we spoke about it earlier. Uh, so the Bulgarian government alleges numerous pundits, journalists, pollsters, and public figures received regular payments from the Russian embassy, uh, around 2,000 euro per month, to present Russian narratives in the media as independent analysis. And uh, it also seems that Russians are going to repatriate uh, their diplomatic uh, diplomats from Bulgaria soon. So I just wanted to add, um, you know, this little nuance that uh, uh, the Russian embassies in uh, EU countries and NATO countries are hotbeds of, um, you know, shady activity. Not that anybody on the space doubted that, but it's worth reiterating. Is is twenty four thousand dollars a year a lot in Bulgaria? Is that a lot? Well, it's it's a decent living, but I think it like compenses to their other income. I don't think it's the only income, but uh, right, that's true. That's true. Uh, it's uh, you know, two thousand uh, euros a month is definitely. Uh, I think it's twice the more than twice the average salary in Romania, for example. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, you're not gonna be wealthy, but you're gonna be comfy. And you just have to once in a while be like, I don't know. I guess the Azovs are Nazis, right? Like you just have yeah, to yeah, something like that. Okay. Or uh, the, the they're suffering on both sides, or something. This kind of right. They, they, they give you like bullet points. Uh, Bloke, did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah, Adrian, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, so um, from what I've been reading lately, it uh, looks like the Russians are screwing up their their relations with, uh, uh, with Bulgaria. Um, do you have any further information on that, uh, you know, with, with the gas supplies and so forth, and, and that they actually might be turning the Bulgarians against them? Do you have any insight? Uh, okay, I'll trade very carefully because uh, I live in neighboring Romania and uh, I am the first one to admit that I don't know much about Bulgarian politics. So it's just uh, what I read uh, 
in the news. What uh, I do know, I do know, is that Bulgaria uh, has offered some significant support. I think some of it under the radar, not very public, and. Um, Compared to Romania, uh, like the relationship, uh, Romania doesn't didn't have uh, before the escalated invasion that great of a relationship with Russia. We're also different culturally. We're not Slavs. I mean, when we impose sanctions, I think like zero point something, like way below five percent of our trade uh, was with Russian companies, and it was more like a joke that we are sanctioning Russian companies in Romania. There are some exceptions, of course. But in Bulgaria, they're uh, very connected. Uh, I mean, a lot of Russians went on holidays there. That the economic ties were way deeper. So um, uh, I don't have details to give you, but obviously this invasion has really burned a lot of relationships because people obviously had to pick a side, and it's very public, and so it's uh, interesting to follow. I see Alex has his hand up, hand up. Maybe he knows more. Yeah, Alex, go ahead. Thank you. Bulgaria was 100% dependent on Russian gas, and Russia cut that gas overnight. So, if um, you can think of a um, better way to show that Russia doesn't have friends or allies or historical ties or whatever, it's. Um, they are weaponizing everything, um, and uh, so basically they want, they don't want friends. They only want slaves. Like who would cut gas without any notice? Just and, and they cut it to countries that is hundred percent dependent. Russia had what seventy percent, seventy um, people are being expelled from Russian embassy in Bulgaria, right? It's a tiny country. Why do you need 70 personnel in in, uh, in the embassy? Well, they are all spies, right? Um, so, like, and uh, this was going on for years. So, yeah, that's uh, can be so, pretty rough. So, so, oh, go ahead, Alex. Sorry, I thought you were finished. Go ahead. So, yeah, what Bulgaria is doing right now is they are... Uh, there is a pipeline nearby uh, coming from Azerbaijan, and I, I believe that's where they will be buying their gas from. But, um, yeah, you obviously cannot. And, and by the way, next day from, so when Russians cut the gas to Bulgaria, next day Bulgarian, uh, I don't remember its president or premier, but he visited Kiev. So that was pretty kind of um, telling uh, gesture. So, yeah, that, that's where they stand. I, By the way, I know uh, quite a lot of, quite a few Bulgarians were looking um, positively at Russia, um, including Putin's Russia, but uh, I'm pretty sure that changed um, dramatically. So, Thank you, Alex. And so before Thank we go you, to Adrian, uh, I just wanted to say two things. First, if we have any Bulgarians in the audience or people maybe more familiar with Bulgarian politics, we'd love to hear from you. You can just come up and uh, raise your hand and uh, we'll get to you. And the second thing is, a couple weeks ago, uh, Adrian, uh, not Adrian P., Adrian uh, Artifier, uh, the other Adrian from Romania, he came up and he was all bummed out and he was like, a mob boss took over uh, Bulgaria. And I was like, what? And so... He kind of he didn't really explain it at the time, so I asked Doman, 
And Doma was like, well, it's more complicated than that. And I was like, he said that, uh, and he was like really bummed out because he was like, we're going to build bridges. It was going to be great. And he said like, uh, you know, the old leader of Bulgaria organized like a no confidence vote. And uh, he got the new prime minister thrown out. And so like, you know, he's kind of in charge again. And yeah, I, I don't know, like, I don't know anything about Bulgarian politics, but that was like the last update on Bulgaria I heard about. So does anyone know about that situation, the government in Bulgaria? What happened? Uh, Adrian, go ahead. Uh, just give me one minute and I'll come back. Apologies. Thanks. Oh yeah, no worries, no worries. Uh, Alex, uh, do you know about the, the mob boss that took over the Bulgarian government by any chance? Um. No, I, I wouldn't be able to provide any details. Uh, however, uh, I think uh, it would be interesting. When was the last... Uh, it could be related that new Bulgarian government uh, decided with more pro, pro-Western, uh, pro-Western uh, approach and um, alignment with, uh, with the West and NATO. One, one thing that, you know... One thing that people need to kind of better understand is, uh, for some reason, Russia is um, more unfriendly with nations that are friendly to it. (laughs) It, it, So to speak, like, again, you know, what is the... So Bulgaria was looking, at least with previous governments, they were trying to have good relations with Russia, 100% dependent on gas and whatnot, and a huge embassy, right? So what is Russia doing? Well, they are having 70 spies. Like, come on, Bulgaria, like, look at their GDP. Why do you need... You you don't even need, you know, 70 people in embassy in the United States. Like, in Bulgaria... They are hosting, they were hosting, like, Russian spies. Uh, of course, uh, they... And then after Russia cut off the Alex, gas. if you had to guess, how many actual diplomats were, like, among that 70? How many do you think there were actual diplomats doing their job, and how many were spies? Well, um, you know, diplomats, like, five? like, many, many years ago, all diplomats were spies. But these days, diplomats still have a role, kind of. But uh, but uh, how many were spies? I mean, all they need is one person, maybe somebody for consulate. Uh, everything else, like uh, an embassy of five people, is probably you know maybe yeah, so ten. Six, sixty-five spies and, and criminals and exactly. Sorry, I didn't mean to ruin your train of thought. Go ahead, Al. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> A lot of spies, for sure. But yeah, you're um, saying like they, they, they have a lot of influence in the Bulgarian government because they have, you know, all these spies running around and it's a small government. And uh, sorry, uh, I didn't mean to I'm pretty right. sure it wasn't just government. They are, um, they, they were trying to get quite deeply into basically, they tried to get under the skin um, of where they can get. And the, I'm not even saying this is very effective, you know, all those spies, you know. So sometimes they just, um, they recruit way more spies than they really need, you know. Uh, but anyway, that's kind of sideways. Um, no, I do not know that story that you brought up, but uh, apparently um, 
they have less and less friends, so to speak, uh, because like n no country wants anybody to interfere into its own affairs, right? Um, and uh, they probably were watching um, and didn't like where these things were going. So, um, I happened to listen. There was um, a, a meeting of countries neighboring Black Sea, and uh, I listened to Bulgaria uh, representative. Yeah, you're, you're talking about the NATO summit? Is that right? Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. So they were quite pro-Western and pro, like, uh, Romania has a uh, port in Constanza. Bulgaria also has port, but it's kind of more a tourist zone. But um, they were pretty much aligned with, um, I, I wouldn't say, they, I, I mentioned, I noticed anything pro-Russian in there. So I think it, they are, like, quite um, punch in their support of Ukraine, um, like most of other Eastern European countries and Central European countries. And, and actually, at this point, all European countries are quite um, unified in support of Ukraine. But, uh, yeah, just uh, the fact is telling, you know, if you 100% depend on somebody, on gas, and then that gas is cut off overnight, like, I think Bulgarians were very legitimately pissed off. You know, these gas supplies, they are many, they are driven by, con you know, it's it's not just, uh, <laughs> these things do not happen like that. And those contracts, they have terms, they have like dates, they have, uh, I think what Russia is doing, it will be very hard for Gazprom to ever get a contract to Bulgaria, like ever. Why would you put another contract with somebody who broke the previous one like just like that? It's, um, yeah, it's mind-boggling. Looks like Russia doesn't care about selling its gas uh, anymore. So, yes, sanctions and whatnot, and there was a plan to do it kind of gradually, but Russia cut it like that way. Um, and and what, what do they think that? Bulgaria will freeze or, you know, capitulate or like, why Why would B Bulgaria or any decent country do that, for God's sake? Um, Certainly anyway. a strange business strategy, isn't it, Alex, what, what they're doing? This will destroy Gazprom. Like, if you think, and they were like making this promise, oh, this is our national heritage and richness. And yes, in terms of gas, uh, gas, uh, deposits. Russia is rich in gas, but like all the pipelines are have been built and then the gas stops flowing through those pipelines. Now you have to build new other pipelines, you know, to sell your gas to anybody. You cannot sell your gas in plastic bags, right? You need to build pipelines. So I don't know what's kind of uh, what's on their mind? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so like they could they could make billions of dollars just well I, I don't probably probably millions of dollars to Bulgaria uh, just just leaving it on right I mean like they make money the West looks hypocritical um, I, like the only my only speculation is like you said it's a hundred percent so when they turn that tap off it's 
maybe the the goal was to like try to show Europe like look you know this is what happens when we cut off your gas and uh, but yeah I mean it's such a counterintuitive business strategy it's gonna completely destroy any trust anyone could ever have in Russian relying on Russian energy for anything right yeah I don't you know, know it just boggles to, the mind prior to twenty fourteen the second biggest buyer of Russian gas was Ukraine um, right yeah. It's again, it's mind-boggling. They 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 are destroying Gazprom for starter. I l- let alone yeah, all, all those stuff they are doing like genocide and whatnot. Um, but I I fail to even explain what they are doing to like they are destroying Gazprom. They they also it's so it wasn't even Germany that cut. Um, Gas supply right now, gas supply to Germany is cut by uh, over thirty percent. And do you think Germany did it? No, they were planning to gradually do it. No, Gazprom did it under the order of Putin, of course. But again, all those contracts, relations, strategy goes out of the window. Um, Putin just wanted to cut gas to Germany, and he he did it. And now. Apparently, he's hoping that Germany will, you know, capitulate to this gas station. And um, I, I, I don't know, he must be really out of his mind. Anyway, just... Yeah, like, like far be it from us, Alex, to, like, lament the fall of Gazprom, right? But it's it just, watching it from the outside, it's just, it just kind of, it's just kind of bizarre, right? Like, we're watching executives from the company and just get murdered, like quote unquote, commit suicide, you know, uh, their whole family with their whole families. Uh, we're watching, uh, you know, them just tear up contracts and go, ha ha ha. Like our plan was to like make, let you freeze to death the whole time. Then you'll be sorry. Like it's just this insane, you know, they, they masqueraded as a legitimate company and now they're just, it's completely insane. Yeah, it's it's just it's a real trip to to witness for sure. Uh, I mean, any any last follow up there, Alex? No, I that's uh, that's all. But w- would be interesting to see. Uh, I think it was election, uh, but again after election, you know what what it tells me is you cannot really have good relations with everybody. Uh, you'll have to make a choice, Putin or everybody else. And that's uh, that's kind of the, the bottom line. Thank you. What a what a club to be in the ones that chose Putin, huh? Uh, sorry, uh, Adrian. Uh, do you have anything you wanted to add now? Or are you still? Uh, still no, it's okay. I was um, <clears throat> waiting for some food. So um, I uh, just had an observation as a follow up to um, um, what Alex said about Bulgaria and this uh, shooting themselves in the foot that uh, the Russians seems to be doing on many levels. Sorry, really sorry, on many levels. Um, as we were speaking before, that they're uh, running through their stockpiles of relatively modern equipment and um, precision-guided munitions and so on. I, uh, it's very interesting to see how...